Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara and I am your host. Welcome to episode 15 of the Book of Leaves podcast. Every episode I chat to someone who is doing something in some way good or beneficial for the planet and we have a casual chat with them and take a leaf from their book to add to our own way of sustainable earth-friendly living, whichever way you want to put it. And this week is with Kali Ennis. So I was honoured to be invited out to his shed to record this podcast to someone who doesn't listen to Collie's podcast. You might be like, what are you saying? There, There is a shed in Collie Ennis's garden full of snakes and spiders and critters and wonderful creatures. And he has his own podcast called The Critter Shed, which I would absolutely urge you to listen to, especially if you've any interest in animals or biodiversity it's just really fascinating to learn about cockroaches and frogs and newts especially when they're native to Ireland as well it's really cool so definitely go check his podcast out this podcast is with Collie specifically talking about how we as just people on the planet can turn our gardens or balconies any space we have into kind of havens to attract critters and invertebrates creepy crawlies because we really need them and their their numbers are struggling and we go into why that is how it's affecting them and then most importantly what we can do about it and on a kind of higher level with councils as well local councils so I hope you will enjoy I don't think there's much else what happened in life since I talked to you two weeks ago I think I've just been recovering still from Extinction Rebellion's protests in Rebellion Week. And, oh yeah, I was really tired, so that was a really short intro at that time. Well, yeah, they've been... I went to the Dublin meeting with Extinction Rebellion there this week. And, yeah, they're still reflecting on what went on and learning from it, which is great. So if you feel like kind of joining the action or having a say in actions or protests or you just feel like you want to give the movement advice or anything, they've got Facebook groups, Extinction Rebellion Ireland Activist Hub, I think they have on Facebook. And if you know someone on the Slack channel, you can join Slack as well and kind of get involved that way they're always looking for people there is go- oh, oh, oh yeah there is also going to be another global strike for climate around the end of november i think it's the 27th i don't have it in front of me um i think it's november yeah well i'll double check that and that will be another date for your diary to get involved with and these strikes are going to keep happening until the government acts basically so yeah, we still we're still going to need protests to happen until we get the system change that's needed to fix this crisis. And in the meantime, I feel like what I can do is just keep doing my bit and my part and that really helps with my own kind of climate anxiety and guilt of the state of the planet when I know that I'm doing my bit, then what more can you do really so obviously vote and campaign against and for um things that matter in regards to the environment 
but obviously you do your own thing as well and then I don't know that just that just helps me so this episode I think I hope you will enjoy it's really I found it really interesting and Kali is just so lovely to talk to and yeah hopefully then you'll get something from it and you can turn your garden or balcony or little patch of concrete land even into an attraction for more life which is what we need so have a listen and stick around after and I'll catch you after guys enjoy thank you so much for having me over to your house I feel very honoured to be sitting in the Critter Shed right now You're very welcome It's really nice and toasty and I'm surrounded by all sorts of animals wonderful snakes and tarantulas and yeah it's really I'm going to get distracted probably while you're talking Yeah things tend to move around a bit and <laughs> catch your eyes yeah. As long as they're all in their containers they're all we're safe. all good They're all safe We're all good yeah. um, But come here for anyone who doesn't know anything about yourself uh, who are you and where are you from originally before we get into all things biodiversity? Okay, so my name is Colly Ennis and uh, I'm originally from Crumlin in Dublin. Um, I grew up there. Uh, I'm living in Tallinn now. Um, I basically got into nature as a kid, as a very young kid, collecting frog spawn, collecting spiders. I'm, my obsession with those two particular creatures has continued into my adult career, so to speak. But yeah, I was always obsessed with that kind of stuff and uh, it just continued on. Unfortunately, where I grew up, I think college wasn't an option when I was younger. It was just a case of you followed your parents into whatever trade they were doing. Yeah. So uh, my dad was an electrician and I uh, eventually ended up going into sparking and kind of that was that as far as I was concerned. But then uh, the recession hit and I ended up working as a security officer in Trinity. In Long story short, I ended mm-hmm. up there as a security officer. And through working there, obviously you get to know staff in the college. I started talking to people in the zoology department. They found what I did in my spare time, which is working conservation and, you know, digging ponds and stuff like that and, and keeping exotic animals. Very interesting. And then I started working on various projects with them and, and doing public outreach for the college. And then it got more and more intense. I finally got the position of uh, research associate within Trinity College, which is a great honour. And yeah, I've been kind of doing that stuff, working with the Herpetological Society of Ireland, which was formed about 10 years ago and uh, in conservation. So it's been a really weird way to get into this. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's almost as if it was meant to be. Well, that's what my wife says to me. She goes, you were meant to do this. You just didn't get the opportunity to do it when you're younger. But yeah, yeah so it all it, works out. Like. It worked out really well. And it's, yeah, it's a strange story, but um, I'm very glad it did work out. That's really cool. So like, would your younger self be happy with the work that you do now? Like, do you think? But probably be blown away yeah. by the stuff that I've, you know, going to, going to Kenya with the, wow. with the college every year and, gone to Southeast Asia all these places I've seen and and walked in and keeping getting to to look after all these animals you know and just and getting involved more importantly with the stuff that I started out with which is like frogs and 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 stuff around our our local area in Dublin and helping them out as best I can 
in these times where they're kind of struggling a bit. So yeah, it's it's. I have to pinch myself sometimes and just go, oh my god, I can't believe I'm doing this, you know. But yeah, uh, it's great. It's hard work. It's time consuming, and I kind of can't take because I am like treble jobbing basically. Yeah. But it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah. You know. So I can imagine. So what what would your be what would your area of expertise be like the? Uh, well, spiders. Bugs and spiders and amphibians. Cool. So okay. that's my my little uh, niche. A sure. very a very unusual niche because there are a lot of amphibian experts who who would know more than me. And then there's probably invertebrate experts who know more than me. But a kind of I'm kind of a raccoon. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a little a knowledge of everything. Yeah, a little kind, bit of everything. Yeah, it helps that way as well. Sometimes being a generalist pays off. You yeah. know. So uh, yeah, but specifically though. Irish amphibians and reptiles and, and, and spiders in general I'm, I'm pretty well up on so cool. yeah but then again like I always say I don't like being called an expert I'm kind of an enthusiast more than anything sure. because you're always learning no matter who you are you're always yeah. learning especially with science Oh, totally. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah it's really, it's a, uh, it's an interesting existence. Cool. So I guess if we're if we kind of hone in on Ireland and more like the biodiversity side of things, like if an alien walked into the shed and they didn't know how anything worked, like how important are these small creatures to ourselves? Because we hear about the bees and we need bees to pollinate, and mm. then you know without the bees that we'll all die. But like at the moment, we just eat farmed food basically mm. and do we really need them like how important are they well i mean we could survive off cubes of generated algae or something like that that you see in these science fiction dystopian movies where it's like people are basically eating gloop we'll always find some kind of a way i suppose to exist but if we want to have a rich and diverse world and keep our food chains the way it is from like agriculture right up we need we need invertebrates and if we don't have invertebrates everything collapses we lose all our wildlife because everything basically feeds off them at some point uh, or feeds in feeds off something that they help produce like worms torn the soil which make the grass grow better and bring draws in all the the nutrients and the crap and they recycle all the leaves they do all this hidden work that we never think about and yeah yeah, if we lose them, the the they're the base of our our Jenga tower. They're the uh, the cards in the bottom of the the house of cards, and yeah. once they go, it's that effect that things just start collapsing. And it's very um, it's hard to describe. I describe it to people. I don't know. You probably don't remember the name Kerplunk, where there was oh no yeah no yeah, with all the sticks with all the sticks, yeah, and yeah. you have all these balls on top of the sticks. Yeah, and I describe a, a kind of a food system as that like a, a food web and you can play kerplunk and pull out lots of those little sticks and nothing happens yeah but then you pull out one and it just goes yeah. and everything very much like jenga as well it just takes one specific creature that might be very innocuous but when we lose it everything starts falling yeah down. and 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 you know that's what's important the bees are important but just just as important as them are all the other invertebrates. It's good to focus on bees because it's a lot more accessible and nice. People love the little fuzzy bees and they make yeah. honey, but like, you're not going to get a, a campaign for dung beetles going, <laughs> save the dung beetles, they bury the shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, um, that it, it's, it's good to focus on the bees the way we are. But I think even the protections with the pollinator plan we brought in in, in this country under my colleague Jane Stout, 
has been beneficial to all uh, bugs. Like I'm starting to see cars pulling up to the college now with deliveries who have splatted insects on the wind. And that that was something we hadn't seen in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's just from county councils not mowing the the verges and letting the flowers grow. Yeah. And it's just slowly. Now it's only anecdotal. I've just noticed myself, but I definitely have noticed it. So Yeah. Yeah, it's important. It's important that these animals exist. And when you say invertebrates, are they I'm trying to remember my biology and fine. Anything without a backbone. Yeah. So from worms, spiders, insects, all that sort of stuff. Amazing. So all the small, innocuous little creatures that when you lift your bin bag and it's moist, you'll find other lice and scurrying away. Scurrying away. Yeah. Those are all vitally important to our ecosystem. And unfortunately, culturally, we've we've kind of developed this obsession with tidiness and hand, a handy life. Mm-hmm. People don't want to garden anymore. It's a lot to do with the way we live these fast paced lives or we spend most of our lives on Twitter yeah. and Facebook. But the, people are tend to like have paved gardens or just you know uh, stones down or fake grass this kind of yeah. stuff and just because it looks it, well, it's it's looks, it looks nice it's simple yeah. um, I think there's a trend now if you watch a lot of the the, the Fix Your House Up programs you know that kind of Dermot Gavin kind yeah, of shows yeah. there's starting to be a trend now towards in, incorporating biodiversity back into people's homes and lives which is great and we need more of it yeah. and uh, I think a lot of people are frustrated and feeling powerless about climate change and biodiversity loss and my message rather than becoming a, a screaming activist uh, because there's a not, an awful lot of more uh, eloquent voices out there than me to talk about activism and to lobby government but my thing is to kind of be an activist in the way of Showing people how they can help on their doorstep. Yeah. Just to get out there and be positive and say, listen, don't worry about what's happening on the, on the bigger scale. Obviously, it's going to be a concern, but you do your bit at home. Yeah. Get your neighbor and your pals to do their bit. And you're already sp- starting these little ripples in, in, in the water that spread out. And, you know, I think we took a stroll through my garden there and you can see it's about the size of a, you know, a car parking spot. But it's a rich it's biodiverse. Full of life. Yeah. yeah, it's full of life. We have bats that visit from down the daughter to feed over the ponds. We basically turned it into a wetlands. Um but yeah, it's still very pleasant to sit out on the, the small decking area during the summer and enjoy all this yeah. wildlife. So we have we've had bees nesting here for the last five years. We've frogs, newts, bats kingfishers we have all sorts of creatures that come visit the garden and so that's it, one garden that one garden that's that. and and it's a tiny garden yeah so it just goes to show that you can you can draw these animals in you can give them somewhere to to live it's cliche to say it but if you build it they will come yeah you know definitely. it's it, it is possible to make a difference and another thing is the wildier garden the less work you have to do it really. Yeah. You kind of just let it sit there and you prune it a little bit in the winter just to make sure it's neat and then you just let it go. Yeah. Keep an area for yourself that's clean but just enjoy the wildlife then. Yeah, you know what totally. I mean? yeah. yeah, so if you have any visitors come and they're like to say your garden, you're like, no, it's full well, of frogs. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, mine yeah. would be full of wildflowers. It will look busy. Is the word I like to use. I love it. And there's ponds yeah. everywhere. Like, Jurassic oh, Park kind of look, yeah. you know what I mean? For Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. To theme park. Yeah, it's good. Um, and it's it's very doable. It doesn't cost a fortune. 
just look up the right plants that you want to attract creatures with. Or, yeah. And again, I, our big thing with the Herpetological Society is get people to dig ponds. Get, yeah. Because ponds are incredible for biodiversity. Okay, we'll get we'll get into yeah. more on like what exact like hone in on what people can do in Fair their enough. gardens and stuff. But like, what was it that made it get this bad that we really need? Like, aside from these your front gardens and kind of building into their space, is there anything else in society that we we were doing that cut down the numbers of? the insects and that that made them not go splat on your windscreen anymore like there's a huge difference in recent years it's like everything and you ask any ecologist or anybody involved in in natural sciences on any level and they'll tell you it's death by a thousand cuts it's small little things it's agriculture intensive agriculture with pesticides it's pesticides in your gardens it's habitat destruction with you know wetlands being taken the the mountains being burnt off, the forests getting ever decreasing, even to the point now that our once rich soils are starting to disappear because they've just been over fertilized to death. So you lose all your, your beetle species, like your cockchafers that we would have seen years ago. And you just, all these little creatures that were once common are just disappearing. Yeah. And, and, and it's, as I said, it's all these small little factors. And in many ways, our back gardens are going to be the last refuge for them. So that's why I keep, you know, focusing back on what you can do at home. But yeah, there's so many factors. And of course, climate change is, whether you believe it or not, it's happening. <laughs> and yeah. you believe what cause of it, it doesn't matter, it's happening. And that's that's a major factor as well. Have you seen, like, recently, or the climate change enough recently, that you've seen animals yourself kind of... Yeah, suffering? I mean, like, there's breeding grounds for... Breeding grounds for frogs, we would have been monitoring that dry out a lot quicker during the summer now. So you get a lot of dried out tadpoles. Oh. Um, the rain in the winter sometimes doesn't hit the levels that you need to sustain it during the summer. Then in other areas, we've seen that total invertebrate collapses over the summer when it just dries out completely so you have our native amphibians and reptiles in Ireland are struggling then to feed you know and that's just on the ground working at the coal face and seeing it and going my god this didn't happen five years ago yeah you know now of course there's there's trends that happen over long times and that's why we're doing long-term studies of these places that we're involved in but it is concerning it's very concerning and you, you just see less and less of certain creatures every year, you yeah. know, and even even out in places where they should be in wildernesses, they look like their numbers are decreasing and just from continuous studies of them. And that's why it's important to do these long term continuous studies, because we do a lot of survey work in this country, which is kind of like point and shout kind of stuff, which is very much um, it just gets reported. I've seen a newt in Ballina. OK, well, then they're there. Okay, well, we have a newt there, but how many of them are there? How long has that population been established? Are they isolated? Are they, you know what I mean? And all these questions need to be asked. And I think that's what we we try to do as a society is to get the real in-depth, scientific, uh, accurate kind of uh, information so you can make these cases and yeah. take it forward and show that, look, these things are real and it's really happening, you know? And it, like it's been done worldwide, like... Some of the rainforest studies of invertebrates within the depths of Bolivian rainforests between 78, I think, was the last one of the last surveys. And then 2000 and 
15 or 16 you'd like a 70% drop in invertebrates in a pristine rainforest yeah. and they reckon it was purely down to a couple of degrees in temperature rise because there's no pesticides in there mm-hmm. there's no you know what I mean there's no there's nobody cutting down their habitat yeah. because it's right in the middle of these rain but there's these very delicate ecosystems a little bit of a temperature up or down can, can kick it way off yeah kick it way right off kilter yeah so yeah. So yeah, I mean. So you have that you have seen a direct kind of impact, and you mentioned one animal there, uh, the newt. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of animals that I don't think people realise are native here. Like, yeah. are there any? Like, I only realised a while ago that we actually have lizards. Yeah, yeah, they're what? kind of uh, they're they're very uh, we call them cryptic, which means they're very shy and they hide away and very well hidden disguised creatures and the newt is nocturnal and you know unless you're looking for them you probably wouldn't see them you might happen to lift a a pot in your garden if there's a pond nearby and find something you think is a lizard there yeah yeah and then you have people misidentifying lizards as newts and newts as lizards so yeah get a lot of that but we do we have our we have our native natterjack toad we have our native um smooth newt and we the common frog Tree adels, which is perfect. You know, it's it's not as as biodiversity rich in herpafauna as we would be in yeah. England and Europe, but it's nice. We also have an introduced uh, amphibian, the common toad, which we have been in a campaign over the last year to try and get to grips of where they are, and it appears they are quite widespread. Is um, that like a negative situation, like the grey squirrel, or it, are they all right? Off the top, well, it's very early to say, but. They live quite happily alongside our native animals in other countries. Okay. Our concern would be if they're carrying diseases. It doesn't look like they are at the moment, but we're still in the middle of that of that project. It looks like there's so many of them, though, it'll be very, very hard to do anything about it now. So okay. it's just one of those things. And we don't know how long they're there. They could be there decades you know so we don't know who introduced them or who there's been rumors it's kind of like one of those things i heard rumors about them years ago and it's kind of like (laughs) something has survived jurassic park (laughs) stuff but uh yeah i heard rumors about them years ago and then bodies started showing up and then we kind of we went public with uh, with the helps of national parks and wildlife just to get a grip on it and then you get reports in from everywhere that they're here they're there and you know I can't get into specifics because we don't want sure. we just want to keep we're still working on it basically yeah but um, yeah it's very interesting and we okay. don't know how they got here you know so could be accidental it probably was accidental but you don't know yeah but they're here now they're here they? now yeah that's it cool so if we go on to then kind of more pinpointing what people can do in the gardens and stuff like the whole idea of a lawn I was talking to my friend about this recently like this is this is it's all I know and it's all maybe my parents know. But like before that, if you had land, you used it. You were there was either cattle on it or you were growing stuff in it. And the whole idea of like this patch of grass came from really rich. I think it was English settler people who were like, you know what? I've so much land. I don't need to use it all for food. I'm going to turn this into like a small flower bed. This is just going to be nice to look mm. at and walk around in and then we've kind of adopted this whole thing where yeah we've got land we don't need it we'll just cut the grass like is that useful for anything 
Not really. Okay. <laughs> so I think Blind Boy actually touched on that on one he of his did, podcasts. He did, one of his episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was really um, interesting. And it's, it's very true. Exactly why he said they wanted to recreate kind of these oil paintings. But in reality, so if you look from the, a lot of the grand old houses, you will see f- basically a framed landscape with a tree on the right and a tree on the left. And then it goes into this big long lawn with the lake on the end. Yeah. And it's fine for, you know, I mean, for the beauty and the aesthetics of it. But it does nothing for wildlife. Um, it's a green desert. I keep saying that to people, and yeah. it blows, you know, makes you think about it differently. I remember hearing you saying that for us, calling the green desert, and then I'm feeling so guilty about all the times I've mowed the grass in my man's yeah. garden or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I mean, my my garden there was grass when we got here. The whole thing was just grass, black grass, yeah. black grass, and that was gone within six months. <laughs> so I dug a pond. <laughs> they must have thought I murdered somebody because out in the middle of the night, going screaming. But yeah, um, yeah, and that's what they are. They're true. You might as well have. It's it's not as bad as plastic grass, but you might as well have. It's just, yeah. there's nothing there. You need rotten wood, you need leaves, you need life. Life life attracts life, you know, and you need that kind of cover for, for animals, for birds. For my my obsession, the, the, the froggies and the newts, yeah. you need all that stuff. Again, builds up with the invertebrates we were talking about earlier on. Vitally important. You won't have anything in your garden, you don't have them. So you can get them established and multiplying in numbers. Then everything else will arrive and start feeding off them. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the the usage of land, again, even where I grew up in Crumlin, our estate was really, I grew up and I'd go out into my garden, there'd be frogs and newts and everything because the estates were built on old farm ground. But all the, the gardens were connected because nobody had brick walls it was all just a, a yeah. wire fence so yeah. everything could travel freely so you'd have hedgehogs and everything in your garden it was great mm. as people got more money then they want more privacy the, the brick walls go up which isolates your garden from any movement of animals bar rats and mice because people are obsessed oh well it keeps the rats and mice out nothing will keep them out they'll yeah. parachute in if they have to <laughs> but uh, so yeah so then you lose free movement you, you lose genetic diversity even if you have a pond you lose the genetic diversity of yeah. the animals trying to get in and out and again, death by a thousand cuts, these slow kind of changes in our our wealth and our attitude towards, like we, I would have grown vegetables, my families would have grown vegetables as we were kids. So you'd always have a, a high turnover in the soil and manure going in and you'd have all this kind of yeah. stuff happening. But it's, yeah, it's completely changed, completely changed. It's about, I think it's that obsession with tidiness, handiness. You know, yeah, uh, it's totally, yeah, it's ruined a lot. It's like. ruined a lot, and it's taken a lot. I think the tide is going to turn on that. Mm-hmm. I think we'll look back on our old, our old gardens like we look back on bell bottoms. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> ecological bell I've bottoms. I'm going to call them. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I think it'll be one of those things we look back and go, God, I can't believe people did that. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? it's so totally. archaic. Yeah, in the way they thought, you know. But. Yeah, so that was that was something I was going to ask. Like, if you like, is your garden here bricked in? Like, how do you should you make kind of some kind of vine or something up the side? That yeah, that's basically what like? I did. I put yeah. clematis, uh, clematis, um, in in along the walls. Is that a plant? It's a plant. Yeah, and basically, frogs and things will climb over anything you want. Now I do have the kids on the road during the breeding season. Who go around with little buckets mm. and collect the frogs to bring them back through the front door because they they can travel up to like five six k away wow. from their breeding ponds. Yeah, but also my neighbours up the road have ponds now in their garden because they love the idea of it. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. I, I've given them advice. So now this whole area that was dead of 
these wild creatures, these amphibians, has now actually spread them out so much that they're in the school pond over across the way and they've recolonated the Dodder Valley. Unreal. Which is just community-based. Uh, a few people got together basically and said, this is a great idea. And, yeah. You know, so... And now, now my next project is to put a pond in the front garden this year. You see my front garden as you come in, I kind of created a hedgerow. Yeah, So class. Yeah, we get bats in and... That's okay. Uh, to, to, to feed around that. And I'm just going to put a pond in there. So it means that I don't have to keep bringing the, the frogs through the house yeah. during the breeding season. Yeah. They'll find a place out there to breed in. Cool. So small little steps like that, you know. So where do you start? If you've got like a patch of grass, then you can dig a pond. Like what? Like First what thing else? to do is to put in a water body. And yeah. it, 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 the, the worry about it, I think a lot of people's worry is either if they have kids or if they're renting a place and how am I going to get a pond in? They, they picture like a big swimming pool kind of thing. But yeah. a pond can be like a sink, a bucket, anything. That holds water in the ground. Yeah. As long as it's level with the ground and you have some stones piled up at the side so creatures can get get, get in and out, stick it in the ground. Stick yeah. a basin, a hand basin in the ground and then just pile up those rocks to the side. Throw in some plants from your local pond or your canal. Some water plants now, the ones in the water. Yeah. Pop them in and they'll have some kind of mic- microscopic life on them which will start the whole process of, of the pond developing and breeding itself. Yeah. And do you need to change out the water or nope. anything like just if you've got the right it. plant in there? Like, you yeah. just leave it alone. And even if it goes rotten and stagnant, life will be in there. Even if you don't attract, people are obsessed because I talk about frogs so much. They're like, oh, I haven't got frogs in my garden yet. And I'm like, okay, well, go out at night and have a look at your garden. And then they'll say, oh, I've got bats. Because even in a stagnant pond, a small one, you'll get mosquito hatches off it, which arise every evening. Mm-hmm. And they'll go into the air and bats are dead smart. They'll catch them and know that there's a food source. So they're creatures of habit and they'll yeah. keep going back there to pick them off. They'll only be there for like 10 minutes, grab a quick snack and off to their next spot. Unreal. So you get these kind of little, it doesn't matter what you're attracting, you're attracting something. Yeah. You're doing something good. You'll get hoverfly lava, you'll get dragonfly lava, you'll get all sorts of creatures that will end up in, even in the smallest, smallest body. And if you're renting a gaff, you know, you can just dig out these small, get a, a, a tub from Ikea, something similar to what I'm showing you here, and just stink that in the ground. And yeah. then when you're gone, take a witch in, fill the hole in. One no of one's... the little plastic storage yeah, tubs. Exactly. Like, or you, I heard you say in one of your podcast episodes, uh, you have half a barrel or something. Yeah, I'll show in. it to you later yeah, on. Yeah, cool. Um, so it doesn't need to be like, because a lot of the ponds that I saw, I'm like, oh, I have to dig a hole and then line it with this plastic and then fill it in. Like, you could pop you could pop a, a, a barrel or a large container on the ground and just pile up rocks uh, at the side of it. So that enables animals to get in and out, mm-hmm. if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a ramp at the side. Yeah. And, I'll show, and that's exactly what I did with the thing. So animal, animals can get in and out of my half a barrel that I found oh, in yeah. a skip. No and they use it and it's actually my main newt breeding area. For some reason, they prefer it down there than they do anywhere else. Yeah. So they'll pick where they want to go. And yeah, it's cool. It's cool. But it's simple little things. And again, it's really rewarding because you know life will show up and yeah. entertain you and that's one thing like you don't need to I presume you don't need to bring some frog spawn to your back garden like it's illegal bring, is it good <laughs> yeah, it's so illegal. you don't like you, sh- you should just leave it as opposed to because I heard you saying uh, before that newts are like homing um, yeah, animals well, so like if you take if you're like oh do you know what I've got a nice little garden for you I'll take you and 
Yes. Yeah, if you take if you take a newt from its breeding grounds, which you would tend to find them in the spring, and we've had we've had to say to people in public because people are have genuine interest and want want to have these animals in their garden, and it's very understandable. But you're sentenced to death because basically you're taking a, an animal that's basically a homing pigeon, <laughs> a small slimy homing pigeon, and putting it in your garden, and it will want to try and get back to its breeding grounds and it will go try and get over walls and everything and get stressed out yeah, and picked, picked up picked off eventually you know yeah. so yeah it's not advisable to do that you will get natural kind of dispersion so there's, in any population there's going to be some risk takers some brave little boys and girls that decide to shoot off into different areas especially when the population gets very high and that's exactly what happened on my road I got so many frogs in here that they just started going off to other people's gardens. And it, all you can do is encourage everybody in your area to get to do something similar. If you have a community group, do that. And you can link up isolated populations. There could be frogs in a field behind your houses that need yeah. other spawning grounds. Yeah. And you creating that, they'll show up. Um, but it's not to be all and end all if they don't. It's, it's the habitat that matters. And there's uh, countless creatures that will benefit uh, as well as amphibians. Unreal. So what else then, aside from a pond, can you do? Uh, just look up the pollinator plan on pollinators.ie. They'll give you advice on planting wildflowers, which will look after themselves during the summer, more or less. Yeah. Put in native kind of uh, reed beds. If, you, if you're renting a house, get big pots and put massive amounts of overflowing plants like nasturtiums, stuff that gives a lot of cover. Uh, you know what I mean like yeah. bushes and and hedge if, if you can't like plant out a rented house obviously you can still buy pots and fill them full yeah. of bushy plants with lots of cover you can go out and get old decking and pile it up like a Jenga thing and put that in your garden and that will be occupied by bumblebees and all sorts of invertebrates and just let it rot again when you're moving out of your rented accommodation you can pick that up and take it with you and bring it yeah. to your next place yeah so it, it, it's all little things like that what is it about rotting wood that that's part of it like... see basically we chop down forests to, to and, and, and wilderness to to put our houses the animals don't know that the forests and the wilderness are gone so they just treat your garden as it is it's mm-hmm. like the reason why if you're digging your garden you'll generally find a robin showing up uh, having a look around and people's called them the gardener's friends but the reason the robin's doing that is because the wild boar used to root around in the mud and uncovered tasty grubs for the robin to show up so basically me digging my garden is replacing the wild boar yeah. and the robin's still doing what he does but it's a good example of these animals are just basically doing what they've done for millennia yeah they're not coming into our space like we're, we're coming much, into there yeah. and the rotten wood is basically fallen leaves and, and branches that these insects would have been feeding off anyway so they'll show up and they'll they'll start they'll start feeding in great numbers. So you know, I and the way to know if you have a healthy garden is by lifting stuff in your garden. Now you lift anything in my garden and half there's creatures crawling and flying out. So I'm even surprised. Can you put down rocks and stuff like everything? Yeah. So you mix habitats. You put some rocks in. You put some. Take go down to your local park. Take a bag of leaves. Throw them in on the ground somewhere and just let them decay and yeah. small little steps like that. And can you have dogs or cats or kids and still have like a it's garden? It's a shame full of to life. have kids and not have a garden full of life. That's my yeah. attitude. Of course you can. That's how I yeah. ended up in this weird situation in life. But like, I'm forever grateful that my parents 
had this idea about they were they were gardeners from a gardening background and they they understood they understood biodiversity before i think it was even a word but basically they knew that you needed these creatures you needed uh, yeah. hedgehogs around you needed frogs around to to protect your plants because i suppose back then people hadn't got the money to be going out and buying slug pellets and stuff yeah so i suppose yeah um you can you totally can you can have Cats should be kept indoors. I'm obsessed with that, but we won't, I won't get into that. Yeah, or at least talk, put a bell on their collar. Yeah, or exactly. Like, yeah. But like the cats and frogs don't really mix too well, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but yeah, you can have you can have all this stuff, uh, all those pets, and you can still have a, a, a reasonably biodiverse garden and and uh, do your bit. Yeah, and if anything, like even as a kid, I can remember growing up I definitely spent more time playing with the local bugs and insects as opposed to on the swing set that we had or something like yeah. you know you can go to your parks for that kind of stuff yeah. as well like yeah so you're I've I always found it much more interesting for like and kids do have like that passion for bugs and insects anything that's alive like it's this yeah. natural thing that we have sure it's the kids who are marching against climate change yeah, it's exactly. not the adults yeah yeah and it's the adults who are judging them. Yes, which stop is, the which is, oh, come here. It's just heartbreaking. And yeah. it's like, my whole argument is regardless of political affiliations or leanings, and even if you really firmly believe that climate change is a myth and you're going to ignore the, the vast majority of scientific consensus, say all that is your bag and you're going to ignore all that stuff. Surely to God, making a lusher, greener world is beneficial to us all. I yeah. don't see... The point, I don't see the the argument, oh, we're going to make, we're going to have more animals and we're going to have more trees and greenery and we're going to, my God, that's terrible. It must be some mad conspiracy. Who's conspiring? You know what I mean? I don't understand. Yeah. Is, is there a giant termite under the ground? Is a brain like in Starship Troopers that's controlling the children to make them want to give bugs a better go of things? It's ridiculous. So yeah, they can... They can take a jump as far yeah. as I <laughs> Cool. So there's like, there is things that we just have to do ourselves because we can't rely on like the powers that be, the governments and the councils and stuff like they've, they're just hard to get anything done. Do you know, like, yeah, do you know there's I mean? a, certain I, times? I'll tell you, there's an attitude of this is how we've always done things. Yeah. And it's, I've been talking about it a lot recently because of an incident that happened to me with an, an area I was monitoring in Tala which was a nice little rewilded wetland um, that unfortunately there was some miscommunication within the, the council and they dumped a lot of silt out of a pond um, silt and rubbish on top of this beautiful little gem of a wetland and the response they got from the backlash and it was it was quite heartening that there was such a big backlash about it was basically this is how we've always done it and I thought it spoke volumes that's what they they came they out and said. They said we have always put silt here, and that's that. God, and for anyone who doesn't know who's listening, so like it would be about five or six weeks from ago when you guys are hearing this. But there was a beautiful accidental wetland, like a haven, an oasis for all sorts of life, that the council came and literally dumped like it looked like three, four foot 
of, of sludge. Of sludge on top. They call it and, silt, but it was basically sludge at the bottom of a pond. So that would include all the runoff from roads, uh, the plastic. If you if you think the Liffey or the, any of our rivers or canals in Ireland, yeah. or any built-up area, you look at the bottom of that and you think of all the rubbish and crap that gets thrown in, crisp bags, yeah. plastic wrappers, bottles, um, that including with all the dirt and gank and board poo and duck poo and stale bread and all that stuff that's rotten over the years so you're talking about you know a, a fair few tons of that dumped over two hectares uh, so they went they were or two cleaning. acres sorry i think of wow the, yeah so they were clean in one pond was it yeah and, then... and basically basically there was some kind of a mix-up because the council had been brilliant and very enthusiastic about protecting this wetland and I had been in communication with them and working on other projects with them but for some reason there was just some kind of mis- I, I, I'm putting it down to miscommunication because I can't see anybody being that bad that yeah. they, they do something like that on purpose but uh, yeah regardless it's not good enough anymore Yeah, we can't, can't do it anymore it's, and that's just I have a voice fortunately to speak out about this but there's people in communities who are just as upset about their little patch of woodland or bog or whatever that's getting flattened and they are screaming on you know small Facebook groups and in their and local Joe community Duffy. and Joe Duffy yeah. but nothing's done yeah. you know now I think hopefully they're going to have to mitigate my area because I'd, they should because it's the right thing to do yeah. uh, and it was it was probably a genuine mistake but like it's a great opportunity for one council to turn around and say we, we did make a mistake and we're going to yeah, lead it. by example. Do lead you know, are there any plans for them too? No idea. I haven't okay. heard anything. Um, it's under investigation and that's all I can say about okay, it at the moment. So, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe, have you maybe any... I'm just hoping everything will be worked out okay. You yeah. Know? Have you any advice for people in more rural areas that like do have a patch that they can see being destroyed, like of what they can do? Like, should and, they contact their councillor? Yeah. I mean, it's not just in rural areas, it's in urban areas as well, because yeah. the last couple of green patches we have in urban areas now are valuable mm-hmm. and money talks, you know. The only thing I'll say is, like, again, I'm not an activist, I'm a conservationist, but I will say this, make sure you have everything documented. If you're going to go in and claim that there's species there, the reason I could kind of talk about this is because I had been studying it and been documenting everything. So make sure you have everything documented correctly, GPS, video, photographic evidence, everything. So no one can deny what you're saying down the line. Uh, Or if you go with it to get an area protected, um, you'll have have all that evidence there. Um, But also to appeal to, like... The heart is a big thing. I think part of the reason that I got the response I did because I was genuinely heartbroken about losing it. So, and it has been really crappy. <clears throat> I'm not yeah. going to lie to you, it's been really crappy since it happened because not only does it happen, then you're kind of, because there's an investigation, you, you have to pause everything. And you, all I just wanted to do was to raise it and then hopefully the council will come out and fix it. Yeah. Which they didn't. So now we're getting into this stage where it's just really, it's just an awful mess for everybody. But yeah, if people want to 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 protect their little their little area, organize as many people as you can, get your facts together, let people know how important it is to you and what it means to you. Um, we need these wild spaces for biodiversity, for all the stuff we talked about in yeah. the last few minutes, but also for our mental health. And yeah. Mental health is such a massive thing nowadays. We're not going to be mentally healthy if we live in car parks. Mm-hmm. And concrete canyons. It's not good for us. 
you know and even a walk to your local perfectly pruned park isn't the same as walking through a woodland with birds singing and frogs croaking yeah it's not the same it's totally different it's totally different exactly and I mean there's so much uh, progress being made now with you know and we're going to need houses I understand that but there's no reason we can't live next door to these animals if you if you allow space for them and include them in your plants and employ young ecologists and people who graduate from the likes of the college I work in Trinity and UCD and Galway and all these places that are beautiful brilliant minds coming out young lads and ladies who should be given hard hats and checkboards and saying you can't build there you can build there and the lads a lot of people in the higher ups in the councils won't like it but they're going to have to get used to it yeah because times are changing yeah now yesterday the the minister actually made a statement saying that she's fully aware of how intense the biodiversity crisis is that's a massive thing believe it or not because no minister has really acknowledged it um, up until now okay so for her to say that and to, for her to say she's taking action serious action or she plans to take serious action is a massive thing yeah because you can then hold her to account if she doesn't exactly. do anything and there, usually yeah. when they make a public statement like that they they generally plan on doing something yeah. so fingers crossed we're starting to slowly pull this big old ship of this is how we've always done it yeah. around <laughs> around mm-hmm. the iceberg of disaster we might actually dodge a bullet that's what I'm hoping for anyway do you need to be an expert to do like little surveys in your own area like if you want to have any clout, you should have experience. Sure. You should have some scientific credentials or background. I'm fortunate that I have had the experience I've had and I have my position in the college gives me a, the back of night need, I suppose. And also I've been doing this stuff. Like people know me yeah. from years ago, from over the years. So it is different. Um, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do citizen science projects. It won't hold the weight, though, of of doing uh, a formal study with a with an organisation, even an NGO, yeah. that's experience. So it is good to get somebody with clout on board or 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 a, an ecological survey done. In saying that, you know, you also have to use the internet as well. Um, my my colleague Rob Gondola he points that out to a lot of people who will come to us and say, "Look, we've got this patch and we want to get it protected." And he say, "Well, look, it's down. It's already been planned out as." housing for so many years mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to get stuff like that reversed yeah um, it's heartbreaking but it is very difficult uh, and then sometimes people will be afraid that there's housing going in and it's not down as housing it's just down as wasteland so yeah. all those things need to be done home. do you think is there a shortage of people of ecologists or sort like environmental there's a shortage of desire to work with them at right. council level. Okay. If they can avoid it at all costs, they will. Because to them, it's just needless. It's like... They can't lot... make money from it. Well, that's... It. Well, also, it's a headache for them. They want straight lines. They want walled-in rivers. They want as little trees as possible. As little hassle as possible. I mean, like, my wetlands... The area... It's not my wetlands. The local wetlands is a prime example. I mean, if we'd have gotten wind beforehand, you kick up a fuss and it's like... Now, it's probably big, a bigger headache for them afterwards, after the fact. But still, you know, if ecologists had been on site, they would be like scratching their head going, you can't dump a mm-hmm. load of silt on top of this area. Have you done any assessment of the ecological damage it will cause or the impact it will have, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, there's not, there's, there's going to be a big fundamental change needed throughout our local authorities. But that uproar wouldn't have happened without the people 
kind of like your voice but then everyone coming out and kind of backing you and like yeah do you know like that's yeah. how I'm, like, I suppose like it. yeah it, it is now look it's like everything it's used as a political football and I'm no fool to that mm-hmm. a lot of people who who I don't think would care less about wetlands or frogs were up there screaming bloody murder and that's what that is what it is yeah if it gets the finger out and a lot of councils will be perking up and taking notice of it, maybe it's going to stop them from doing something like that or thinking twice. I think there's a hunger and a, a taste now within a lot of communities to change their council's attitude towards their green spaces and to genuinely make an effort for biodiversity, not just do a bit of greenwashing and get their photograph taken, planting trees or whatever but to genuinely do something. And I think the pollinator plan has been a huge success. Yeah. I think more focus on wetlands now next and woodlands and stop boarding our mountainsides, stuff like that. Why are we doing that? Agriculture. Yeah, to make way for... To clear land, land. because because scrubland doesn't pay, basically. So if you clear it, you get your grants. It is, look, there's all sorts of in-depth conversation we can get into yeah. but it's just it's bad land management and for any ecologist point of view they'll be able to point that out and say the correct way to do it yeah. but uh, again it's going to take change yeah. fundamental change and the way we think an end to a lot of parish pump politics a national plan about how to use our land properly for for wildlife and to realise that we need wildlife and to realise that we're not a green country. We're a green desert. And, you know, I mean, once people get that into their head, when they take that drive down the countryside and they think, my God, it's just green fields. And even the hedgerows are disappearing. Hedgerows, yeah. which are basically, you know, you could consider them remnants of the old forests. So a lot of forest animals, birds will nest in there and animals will use them for cover. When they're gone, that's even that little, those little strips of, of habitat gone as well. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to have to really pull our socks up. And I think there's a taste for change. And I think it's it's filtering up into government levels now. They know the Greens got the vote. They know there's a big push within local communities to live greener existence. And I think, yeah, hopefully I'm, I'm positive. I'm, I'm feeling positive. Yeah. After after a pretty crap week sure. or so, um, I'm, I'm just kind of going back to being positive again because there's no point in getting defeated about exactly and yeah. no, you have to just keep fighting the good fight you yeah know? um i wanted to ask do you know like if i i live in an, i'm after moving into a state with like a load of green play areas or patches that there's one green that the kids use and all the others they have like three or four like little small trees and then there's just they're just constantly like mowing the grass like do you know if you live in either a council estate i grew up in the council estate and it was like the local committee like would just cut the grass every often can you set up like a local group and if you have enough permission like are you able to just turn it into a wildlife yeah i mean like this this is the sort of stuff that our councils need to be doing more with so a a community can go listen give us that bit of grass there we're going to put something on it now of course you have to deal with insurance that's another issue in this country and all that but i mean why shouldn't you be able to put a, a bee hotel up or a little pond in in a in a in a green space within your community why shouldn't it be why shouldn't there be allotments in those little green spaces yeah. this is the sort of thing that drives me mad I mean you go up to Jobstown and Talla and it's just ridiculous they just put a housing estate and then flattened everywhere they could have put trees and forests there Yeah. and instead of you know what I mean you'd have you'd have oaks and beautiful trees instead of burnt out fiestas you know 
because when all you have is your house and this just empty green space it's no use to anyone it doesn't yeah. give you a sense of pride in your community it doesn't give you you know it just it's just hideous and, and it's counterproductive so like I would I would love if the councils I think people should try more yeah. for starters you should try and get together with your people yeah, your, your community your and say mom. look will we ask can we have half of this lump of grass to put wildflower seeds in or to put a small little basin for frogs yeah and see where you get yeah and if enough people start asking councils they might start listening it might mean that they've to send less staff out to cut the grass and all as well like if they yeah, can this is the thing that do you one know less I mean, patch totally it makes sense for them financially as well you know and um, what can you do if you have like a balcony if you're in an apartment is there much you can do with something like that as well the same thing I was saying about uh, you can leave standing water out on the balcony <laughs> you can literally have a small standing bucket yeah. and leave it full of water and just let it sit there throw some plants in it if, if some aquatic plants in it and watch what will show up because things will show up uh, and also just get along one of those trays and, and put uh, poor soil in it so not compost but like not rich soil just really you can ask in a garden centre yeah. for wildflower soil it's basically pretty crappy cool. soil and throw your seeds in and they'll bloom and things will use it Yeah. so every every little sp- space you have I'm always reminded of Cuba Cuba when they when they were cut off from the states and there was kind of a you know I mean they, they weren't allowed to get supplies in they basically turned every rooftop and balcony into a garden so they've been growing their own fruit and veg and living this mad kind of existence of guerrilla gardening yeah. for, for decades um, they can do it we can do it we can do it for nature of course because we, we have our own food or whatever or you can grow your own food it's all good are you yeah. able to like if your garden though is full of life some people might think oh they're just going to eat my fruit and veg I have yeah. I have fruit and veg in here now this year I've got an allotment so I'm I'm delighted with myself I can go for the first time I can go up and plant an allotment but I've always had fruit and veg here and you lose the odd thing but I have so many frogs I don't have to put down slug pellets so yeah. like I mean good luck to the slug who tries to eat me tomatoes because he's going to get nailed Yeah, you know and they're still there I still see them and I, I, I would lose 5% of any crops I've had no pesticides no like, pesticides no, nothing. nothing I'll go out and I'll do picks which mean like night picks you just go out and you just pick any caterpillars or whatever you have I also put uh, more preferable plants beside the vegetables so if you're growing cabbage you can put nasturtions in and the cabbage white will lay her eggs on that or if you find a caterpillar on your cabbage you can put it on there's loads of ways yeah. look go to a library pick up books on organic yeah. farming and you know everything I know is either picked up from friends and family or picked up from books yeah. you know and there's ways of ways around doing everything and again not mad difficult not time consuming Feed, feeding all these is time consuming in here so god how many containers yeah, are my there my god um, one other thing if you have goldfish and you have an outdoor pond are goldfish probably they're probably going to kill everything aren't yeah. they yeah you can't have a true wildlife pond with goldfish in it goldfish they're... are the cats of ponds yeah they're the garden cat of ponds so I do have goldfish in a raised pond over in the far corner because right. I love goldfish, I've yeah. always had them. But I, the the vast majority of my or the, the, my other three or four ponds are all set up for wildlife. You'd need a separate pond. You need a separate if one. You wanted and to. if you have a massive goldfish pond, don't despair. Go out and buy yourself a small plastic pond, or if you have the space, if you're living in your house, or buy or just do what I said earlier, sink a tub. 
our common frogs love are called rana temporania, right? In in little in Latin, that means a temporary frog because they breed, they they appear temporarily at springtime and then they kind of disappear for the rest of the year. But they also breed in these temporary pools. They breed in. If you go down the countryside, you'll see them breeding in puddles at the side of the road. And the tadpoles develop as quick as the as the puddle starts to dry out. So um, yeah, so they'll love. Any kind of little small areas beside larger water bodies, they'll breed in. So, you know, if you're finding spawn in your frog pond, put a bucket in the ground beside it, take out your spawn and put it in the thing. It's not illegal because it's on your property and all you're doing is saving it. So you just pop it in there. Happy days. They'll develop and they'll they'll move on from there. And then they'll come back and use the same area again. Cool. Yeah. And do those little insect hotels that you can buy in like TK Maxx and stuff, do they work? Like I've heard uh, rumours about them yeah. because they're not okay. natural. Yeah. Skip jumping is great. People are always chopping hedges and, and you know, these kind of logs that I have, uh, I collect. What's the, what type of log is that? So that's just a native woodland or a native plant. It's like a deciduous tree. Not yeah. Never any pine. Pine is useless. Okay. But any deciduous tree that you see the council trimming or throwing uh, logs away or even the chippings of those fantastic for bugs you don't have to invest in a hotel you just yeah. pile that up in a corner and they'll set up their own hotel yeah. they'll set up Las Vegas <laughs> they'll have a little neon sign there <laughs> and they'll all just show up and have a party so yeah I mean like uh, the book hotels are fine um, some of the solitary bees will use them but you don't know there, there are ones that are specifically set up from you know I would go to some of the, the the wildlife authorities to buy them off uh, especially in the UK they have the right depth the right size yeah. with a little bit of homework you'll be able to see which is a kind of and you'll probably have to spend a few more quid in it um, but apart from that just leave rotten planks out leave rotten wood out let them sit there and, and watch things watch things arrive amazing yeah so like take home message for the day any land you have even if you're renting it, you can do something. Yeah, give 20% of it over to nature. Yeah. Give 20% of it. Give 50 if you can. If your <laughs> landlord isn't around much. Just, you know. But, uh, yeah. Even, like, if you if you have a landlord. I had a landlord when I was renting a house first who was obsessed about the, the tidy lawn. <clears throat> so what we did was, around the edges of it, we just put loads of pots and plants and crazy stuff and rotten stuff. And all he did was look out and see the tidy lawn and he was happy with that. We had all sorts of stuff living in that place. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there's ways around it. So if you have your paved driveway as well, you can stick pots, all pots, pots and plants. Yeah. yeah, And you can still put a corner full of rotten leaves and just cover. What I what I would do is I, I'd put a load of rotten wood and leaves and then I'd get lovely flowers in pots surrounded. There's a little habitat and it still looks pretty. An art installation all in one. Exactly. Totally. Exactly. Unreal. Collie, thank you so much. Unless there's anything else, I think we've covered I think a fair we have. bit there. I think yeah. we have. Yeah. Don't Amazing. be don't be afraid to get stuck in practical conservation work. Cool. And there's... people can find you on your own. You've your own podcast called The Critter Shed. Yep. The Critter all Shed. All about uh, all, all things small <laughs> and furry with legs or no legs or slimy. Yeah, we're animal based and we, uh, yeah, we talk about all these kind of crazy, crazy creatures and their uh, odd, odd <laughs> ways of existing. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's a bit of fun. Cool. So I'll link that in the show notes. Amazing. Thank you so much, Holly. You're very welcome. And 
And that was Collie Ennis. I hope you enjoy that, guys. I got loads of stuff out of that. As soon as we went home, I was telling my partner, I was like, we have to do this in the garden and this. And where's the fallen leaves? Get all the falling leaves and bring them into the garden. So we now have, we had this little wild corner that we didn't touch. And there is no joke, like 10, 12 birds in this tiny little patch of just grass, wildflowers just growing. And they keep coming back and using it. And there are shrews out there. There is, we planted like a little hazel tree that I've had in a pot for a while. And then we also had a barrel, an old whiskey barrel. We cut it in half and put it in the ground, dug up big hole which took way longer than I thought but it's so worth it we dug a hole put that in put some stones around it and we're letting it fill with rainwater and yeah like there's you can already see there's just so much life little bugs little flies in the air and the birds coming in to use it all the time so it genuinely does happen and it happens really really fast as well when you start making those little choices so yeah we're off to find some rotten wood and bring in all the leaves that are on the ground and on the path so I hope you guys took something from it and learned a thing or two to possibly apply to your own garden be it a rented or purchased garden or balcony or windowsill even they all add up if you enjoy this episode please do share it with a friend share it on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter I'm also on all those platforms book of Lee's podcast you should be able to find it or book of Lee's pod and yeah let me know what you think and let me know what other episodes you'd like to hear in future what you would like who or who you would like me to interview and if you're listening on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or anything with a star rating or review or subscribe option please do leave a review just take it only takes a couple of seconds but it really helps in suggesting the podcast to other people it's still a small little community listenership at the moment but it is growing steadily and I'm getting more strangers kind of chatting to me going oh I listen to your podcast and it's really weird because I'm still kind of convinced it's just certain relatives (laughs) playing it on repeat but thank you so much for listening and please do share and if you want to support the podcast I do have a passion a Patreon, a Patreon account as well, patreon.com forward slash book of leaves. And yeah, you can, I don't know, donate a euro or two or five a month or once off to help support the costs of running this, of the equipment, more so the website and the podcast hosting fees, and just my general life needs a lot of support. So any help, much appreciated. Thank you so much. And yeah, share it around. I hope you've enjoyed. Get in touch if you would like to be on this podcast. You don't need to be an expert in any kind of field. If you just feel like you'd like a little platform to have some chats about sustainability or anything earth related, send me an email. Cara, C-E-A-R-A, Cara at bookofleavespodcast.com and I'll get back in touch with you. So I hope you're having a lovely weekend, bank holiday weekend. Happy Halloween. Happy Samhain. Try avoid, I don't know, too much plastic this time. It, is, it can be hard, but there's lots of good ideas out there for zero waste and or reduced waste um, treats and decorations and stuff. Check out Reusey for maybe some ideas. 
And yeah, the episode in two weeks time, I'm hoping to release and record. I'm hoping to record this week, but it's going to be all about Christmas. So what we can do to kind of have a sustainable, eco-ethical Christmas in a fun way while keeping like all the fun stuff and traditions that we still do. So that will be in two weeks time. In the meantime, please do share the podcast, get in touch, let me know what you think and have a fabulous week and I'll talk to you in two weeks time. All right, guys, take care.